Welcome to the Deep End Podcast. I'm Jane Mills. Each week I interview a person who swims at a public pool to find out a little about their lives. In essence, it's a look behind the goggles. You can find interview details, show notes and subscribe to this podcast on my website www.thedeependpodcast.com.au In this episode, I chat with Paul Whitehead. I've known Paul since the 80s when he worked out of rhythmic hairdressers in Chapel Street. I reconnected with him at the pool about 10 years ago. Paul has a great love of swimming. In this episode, he discusses his swimming beginnings, fitness and all the fun of 80s Chapel Street. We talk fashion and hairdressing, as well as his lifelong passion for cars and guitars. Enjoy. Welcome to the Deep End podcast. Got Paul Whitehead here with me today. Now, just to introduce Paul, been sort of in contact with Paul since probably 1988, something back in the days of rhythmic hairdressers. And I worked next door in the uh, record store in Chapel Street, and I remember seeing Paul around a lot there in in Chapel Street. Anyway, to see Paul at the pool was fantastic. So, welcome to the podcast, Paul. Thanks a lot, Jane. We'll get back to those other days of. 1980s Chapel Street and hairdressing adventures, but um, tell us a bit about your swimming at Paran Pool. Oh, well, I started uh, swimming here about uh, 25 years ago, right. and I met some guys uh, that swam here regularly. Two of them were coaches, and Ross is a, um, a bay swimmer, and they were all so much better than me. So I decided that I wanted to just get good enough to be able to do a workout with them. Okay because I, I'd be just getting to the end uh, when they'd be leaving, so I got no rest periods. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and my technique could have been improved a lot. I got a lot faster mm-hmm. uh, swimming with them, uh, and definitely a lot fitter because I didn't have the same technique they had. And then I decided, uh, Grant talked me into doing my first bay swim, mm-hmm. which I was scared to death of. No, it is scary, I'm scared isn't it? of sharks. And, First uh, one, I don't know. It's terrifying. <laughs> I really uh, thought I was going to have to put my hands up and ask for the rescue boat, but I decided to push on. Yes. <laughs> and I made the swim. Hooray. And, uh, Where was that? Uh, that was at Williamstown. Okay, uh, all right. A renowned hard swim, mm. but they didn't tell me that. <laughs> <laughs> and how far was that swim? Uh, that was 2K, don't Oh, straight in. Torture, torture. <laughs> Goodness me. And it's uh, not I big. had a borrowed wetsuit and it was bright red. <laughs> different colour to everybody else's. Oh, <laughs> easy for the, uh, the to rescuers that, to find. <laughs> I said to Grant that the sharks would spot me. I'd be the last little red one on the end. <laughs> and uh, and then I um, then we had another Grant, Seedley, that came here. And I asked him to give me some swim lessons. Don uh, and his daughter, Olivia. I started swimming with them. When they found out I was having coaching, they wanted to come too. And then Olivia met her now husband and he brought his friends. So we started our own squad for a while. Oh, right. And and we had that going. Mm -hmm. And a good uh, open water season that year. 
and then uh, I joined Anita's H2O after right. that. Yes. I've been there for about seven or eight years now, mm -hmm. and they taught me to go into the pool competitions. Yes. And You're now and a you have master, to do aren't you? Well, <laughs> I got third in the butterfly because there was only three swimmers in my age group. <laughs> but, yes, Details I... you don't need to expand <laughs> upon. Third. Third. Well, that's bronze. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I did uh, get some deserved places as well you know, yeah. in the other events. But, uh, yeah, if you go into the hard ones, there's usually not many in it. And so, definitely, right. so I'm waiting for, uh, when I turn 90, I, I, I'm going to go in everything. That's right. I was going to say, once you hit 100, yeah. you're going to be world champion in everything. Well, I saw a man there with uh, all these medals on his uh, 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 around his neck, and yes. uh, he would have been over 90. And I figured he was the only contestant. <laughs> That's the way to do it. Just, just stick in there long enough, you're bound to be successful. <laughs> and, uh, no, so uh, now I look back on it now, and I'm one of the lo more long-standing members. Yes. Uh, and, and not one of the young ones anymore, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. A seasoned swimmer, they say. Yes, a seasoned swimmer. That's a very nice way of putting it. So, um, you've always swum at Paran, have you? Or? Uh, it, well, Paran used to be closed in the winter, mm. and so we used to have to go to Harold Holt, and that yeah. was before they put their roof on the change room. And <laughs> very frosty uh, but, mornings. So it was a yeah. That that was more of an adventure. <laughs> Sort of outdoor camping. Yeah, try, yes, trying to get changed in the rain. Oh my goodness! But um, but that sort of made the it all added to the mystique of uh, winter swimming. That's right. But you never went down to the. You never became an iceberg no. down at the Brighton Baths. No, I think Easter time is about my finish time in the uh, in the bay. Yeah, I'm the same. So, how many days do you swim now? Um, I swim every day except Saturday, John. Oh, every day. And I know you swim a long time in that pool. <laughs> how many hours? No, we do a, a, we do an hour. Right. But, but sometimes, if I've I've got time, I'll uh, just have a little extra just for relaxation. Right. Okay. Because so the squads are for exercise and mm. uh, uh, and relaxation, but but it's nothing better than being able to just coast along in the water without doing it hard. Yeah, that's right. Just and just chill off. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. So um, when you first decided to come to the pool, was that because you thought you need to do some exercise or uh, I, I did, did you um, do other exercise? In the, in the days of Chapel Street, there was the ultimate gym around in Cromwell Road and I used to go there three times a week. Okay. But they only had a 20 metre pool. Right. Um, but prior to that, I tried getting the staff in my salon. We all decided to get fit because we all smoked and we only did about six laps in the 20 metre pool of Harold Holt uh, and, uh, and we were all worn out. So, uh, uh, you tried, so you tried. Anyway, when I, uh, I tried to give up smoking a few times and when I, when I eventually did give up, um, it was uh, the day before my daughter's birthday. So okay. she wanted that as a birthday present, Aww. and so I decided I didn't want to get fat. So mm -hmm. I thought if I swim every day, I might not put on weight after I stop smoking. And uh, well, I think it seems to work, Paul. Yeah. You look very fit. <laughs> and so it's yeah, it's had the advantages of um, of keeping me working longer, mm. keeping me socially fitter, and also mentally. No matter what you go through mentally, the, the swim at the pool. I'll leave everything in the pool 
yeah. and start afresh every day. No, that it is it is a good thing for that. A lot of people find the mental benefits of swimming to be number one, really. Absolutely, and and, um, and everybody at the pool is always in a good mood because because they're the same. Yes. So we have some. The one thing we have in common is we're relaxed. That's right. <laughs> Which well, doesn't happen much to get out the there. Swim. Yeah. <laughs> Before you looking for a car park or running late, couldn't find your goggles. But once you've done the swim, life's much Every, better. Life is good. Yeah, that's right. So um, you've always worked and lived around this area. Um, I've always worked around this area mm -hmm. um, since um, about 1973. Mm -hmm. um, but I live in Brighton. Right. Oh, Which so is not far to come, really. Staying near the water. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm comfortable with water. Yeah, that's right. As a person. And when did you open the Rhythmic Salon? Uh, that was uh, that was opened before I got there in 1976, and I joined them in '77. Um, but we'd all known each other from every Peel days. Oh right. And so. Uh, the heydays of shampoo. <laughs> It was a heydays because we used to have on a, 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 you'd never see this now, but on a Saturday morning and a Thursday night, we used to have a queue down Chapel Street waiting to get in. You didn't. I was so embarrassed. That, uh, a queue? Like wow. a nightclub. Wow. And, and so when we got burned out in 1980, and... <laughs> we put another 30 feet on the salon. Right. Um, with the owner's permission. Uh, because uh, to cope with the uh, number of people. Wow. But you would never see that now. <laughs> and was that people coming just for a shampoo and... Uh, uh, well, just we had that many clients. Wow. That's fantastic. Um, so if you had, um, say, 60 clients a week, mm -hmm. you needed 360 clients in your files to be booked out every half hour. Oh, wow. That is... And I used to have about 600 in my files, so it was always... Uh, you know, working behind. Yeah, yeah. No, oh, I wouldn't have liked to be your receptionist. Uh, no, she worked hard. <laughs> I was going to say, no, no. How about Thursday? No, no. Well, it would have been People had difficult. regular appointments six weeks ahead. Right. And if they missed out on that one, somebody else would take it. And then they could never get that spot back. Right, because they'd book in yeah. a minute that they yeah. already had that Everybody appointment. Everybody six weeks ahead. You were the, the rock stars, weren't you? Hairdressers. And a lot of the Fashion. clients, um, they were mainly Saturday morning, we'd get them coming straight into the salon from going out. <laughs> so we all looked a little worse for wear. But, um, yeah, so the hairdressers as well as the clients, yeah, yeah. everybody was still on a high from the night before. Yes, yeah. and so it was always buzzy. And, um, and then people, uh, uh, um, when Casbah opened down the road, they mm. used to supply food. Uh, we'd order it over the phone and they'd bring it up to clients. Yeah, the first day is like Deliveroo. <laughs> One lady uh, uh, um, ordered um, uh, uh, a martini and it was so good that she had uh, six or seven of them. So when her boyfriend came to pick her up, she couldn't stand up. Literally had to pick her up. Yes. <laughs> so uh, it was, uh, I've six always had a, a lot of. Yeah. <laughs> That's not responsible service no. of alcohol, Paul. Well, uh, <laughs> she wasn't driving. <laughs> <laughs> we were just worried whether she could pay or not. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Where's my purse? <laughs> <laughs> we had one uh, lady that actually left her bag at the salon uh, 
and we rang her at three in the afternoon and uh, she didn't even remember coming to the hairdressers. <laughs> God, I keep thinking of that uh, the Warren Beatty movie yes, Shampoo. Yeah. You know, I think that really summed summed up. Like, we, uh, I was working at Edward Bills in, in Sydney when that movie came out, mm. and we had a, a guy apply for a job, and we were doing the interview, and we said to him, "What made you decide to want to be a hairdresser?" And he said, I, "I've seen the film Shampoo." Yes. And we said, "What's your name?" And he said, "Warren." <laughs> <laughs> So, the, uh, <laughs> so his first day, we got a receptionist from the other salon to pretend she was a client. Mm. And she backed him into the cloakroom <laughs> and we never saw him again. <laughs> he had his, 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 his uh, moments the, of The film of shampoo came true for him. <laughs> He's like, ah, oh, I'm a stud. <laughs> it fried the life out of him. <laughs> How funny is that? Oh, so... um. You're not at in Chapel Street now. You're around the corner in, in Turak Road. Road. Yeah. yeah. And um, Ben, that I, uh, who owns the salon, we go back 42 or 43 years. Wow. Um, and I always said that when I was on towards the end of my career, that uh, I'd probably go, you know, go and work out of Ben's salon so that the clients had some continuity if they wished. Mm. That's good. So, how long would you have had your longest standing client? Um, 1972. No, and, and they're I've still... got a number of them. I've got about uh, about ten that would go back that far. Really? Wow. That that is that is the mark of a true professional, isn't it? If yeah. you've got that. Well, they're the uh, my wife complains, but they're the they're, to me they're the most important uh, part of hairdressing. Mm. Nowadays, we, we used to be a very strong art salon. Yes. And um, but I always did the clients as well as do the art side. So yeah. I used to work you know, maybe eighteen hour days sometimes. Um, but the clients always, uh, I, I made time for them always. That's mm. why they're still there. And yeah. um, and essentially, that's the bones of hairdressing. Yes. Yeah. Uh, all the new work just gave us good techniques and good ideas for our clients. People used to come in and bring champagne and all the rest of it. And uh, also, uh, when we were in Chapel Street, I used to, the clients were free to come in when they weren't having their hair done and leave their bags or use the ladies or have a cup of coffee mm. uh, because they were part of, they were belonged to the club. Yeah. And, uh, and it's still the same. Well, I, I can remember going to your salon because I was working next door and a young boy called Kim was doing my hair. He was a very good hairdresser. He was good. And but I remember one day the new Madonna album, Like a Prayer, came out. Yes. And I was a blonde until that minute. <laughs> 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 because Madonna had blonde hair. I thought blonde was good. I looked good blonde. And I opened this box and there was Madonna with long, dark brown hair. Hang on a minute. <laughs> Run next door. What time can you make my hair brown? <laughs> because you couldn't buy it. That's right. Oh, I hope you were um, being persuaded by some cool people, Bowie and the like. Well, yes. Uh, I mean, I couldn't afford much in those days, but um, so you'd have to wear it every day to get your wear out of it. <laughs> yes. 
Yeah, no. Well, of course, also Chapel Street had a lot of uh, tailors and fashion houses very, there. Yeah. yeah, people were actually making the clothes. It wasn't places like Cook Eye and Sports Girl. No, no. And, it was, uh, and uh, the uh, yeah, there were some standout uh, individual um, uh, um, fashion shops. And when we did our first big hair show in 1977, we used to order Chapel Street clothing oh, prices okay. for that the clothes we had. 70 models so we had to get 70 outfits so we had seven different suppliers and um but in those days it was very close because um people uh were roughly about the owners were sort of in their mid-30s mm. and um so we're all about the same age yeah we'd all compare hangovers on a <laughs> friday morning yep and um and people helped each other out yeah and it had a, a a unique feel about it um, Bettina Liano and her mum, they... They used to come to the salon. They had that. Um, and we used to do a lot of people from uh, Chapel Street. Uh, but uh, because we, we were an eclectic sort of salon, uh, we were commercial um, for people that wanted that. But uh, the name in, in the profession was more for our new work. Mm. And so people got a bit confused about that. But we... Um, to get the new work through, we didn't tell people it was new. Right. Uh, you know, just uh, because if you tell somebody that they're going to have something they've never, that nobody else has got, they don't want it. Right. But if you if you just do it, they judge it on its merit. Yeah. And so you just go, what about we'll do this? And uh, if they like the idea, they'll, they'll do it. Yeah. The minute I say it's new, right. uh, it puts a damper on things. If they. Yeah. Yeah. If if you if you think it's going to suit them and their personality and that it's going to be a bit yeah. cutting edge, people and will have judge the it confidence. On its merits yeah. Rather than, you know, it's yeah. a bit like trying clothing on. You put, you go, I look good. I don't look good. Yeah, that's right. But when you're very young, it doesn't matter. No, that's right. You can <laughs> tend you just to look go, pretty you're good. You're going to wear it things. anyway. Yeah, that's right. Uh, my platform shoes uh, didn't last long at work because I I couldn't stand up after a few weeks. Oh. So uh, some part of the fashion you have to leave behind. I know. Well, that's the thing. Like with standing up, I mean, quite a toll on your body, that kind of physical work. That's another reason why um, I've, uh, I've been able to keep on working for so long is, is I realised that fitness was the only way. Yeah. And that's why smoking uh, and things like that. I was still smoking when we made the salon non-smoking. Oh, okay. Because a client of mine uh, convinced me that People had a right fresh air. Okay, what year so, would that have been? Um, that was about 1990, I think, maybe oh, okay. 89, 90. Yep. And so we were one of the early salons to uh, stop it right. for staff and clients. Mm. And they could smoke in the backyard, but not mm. in the front. The easiest way to convince people was the fact that I was a fairly heavy smoker, and so I was going to have to stand out in the backyard so they could do the same. Yeah. And uh, so if I'd been a non-smoker, it might have been harder to get it through. The clients were supportive because they realised that people who didn't smoke had a right to yeah. some fresh air. And, and, and it well, saved a lot of labour in the cell. We had no ashtrays to clean. We had <laughs> 22 right. suits and 22 ashtrays in the early days. Yeah. Uh, and it looked like a nightclub on a Saturday morning. You couldn't see the front desk. You wouldn't be able to see the mirror. <laughs> no. To cut the hair. Um, <laughs> and uh, so, you know, it, it, it changed the atmosphere in the salon, which was, uh, and, uh, you know, it was a change for the better. I know, it is so strange when you think about um, how we all smoked, 
in stores when people watch Mad Men and programs like that. It looks really, strange, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, smoking in lifts and in the toilets. It's quite <laughs> weird. <laughs> we, uh, our girls, I, I um, helped them get a gym membership in the late, uh, in that would have been the mid 80s uh, at, at Ultimate. Okay. Because I, I, you know, I realised, I was realising then we needed to be fitter. Yeah. And, uh, but I'd go there on, uh, on a Saturday afternoon and uh, they'd all be sitting out outside in the uh, lounge area there um, uh, on the deck chairs just smoking. At the gym? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I realised it was hopeless. <laughs> they were too young, Paul. They were too young. They were still ha having that party time going on. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's so like their, their memberships didn't last very long then. <laughs> no, that's right. Oh, well, that's really good, though, that you had that um, concept because, you know, it's, I suppose... All businesses now offer these corporate fitness and trying to get their staff to do healthy lives and they have you know lunchtime yoga and things like that but when you were running a small business and a lot of it was based on people going out and having a good time fitness wouldn't have been a thought no. for many people well I think is that the, the reality was we did actually get our fitness at uh, Chasers on a Tuesday and Thursday night dancing because I used to dance for about three hours. That's right, yeah. And, uh, so at, at that age, that's all the fitness that we needed. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and running to catch the tram every yeah, now and then. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, <laughs> pushing the car with a flat battery. <laughs> I realised actually uh, when I ran out of breath doing that, that I need, that's when I went to the gym. Yep. And so I was speaking of cars, you've always been a fan of cars, haven't you? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. I remember... Cars and guitars. Cars and guitars. I wasn't aware of the guitars yeah. element. What's, what has interested you about guitars? Do you play? I, I play guitars. Yeah. yeah. And I collect them. Oh, wow. So um, I, and I couldn't collect many when I was younger, but the ones that I really wanted when I was young, I've now got. Wow, that's <laughs> um, good. And... Uh, uh, and um, so I usually play them every night. Yeah. Um, and Al the cars. Uh, acoustic guitars or electric? Mainly yeah. electric. Yeah. Um, but I've got, uh, I've got three acoustic guitars. Mm. Do you display them at yeah. home? Yeah. And uh, sometimes I, I play with friends. All right. Um, when we get a chance. But as you get older, it's harder to get people together. Yeah. But, um, and, um, uh, I, my son plays drums. Okay. Uh, and but he's so busy that we never get a chance to do anything. Right. Because he's uh, great with recording and things. Um, I I sort of showed him how to do the first lot of recording, and then he's never stopped since. Oh, that's good. Well, he was very young then, and um, have so you ever thought about having a band or? Oh, I, might, I used to in the eighties. I played a. I don't know how I fitted it in actually, but. <laughs> I, I used to get two nights practicing. I'd mm -hmm. read my children's stories first and then shoot out at about uh, quarter to nine and go and practice till one in the morning and come home and go to work again. But, get um, a swim in. <laughs> and swimming in, got the swimming in. Um, but, um, and the cars take up a lot of time. Um, each car's taken over five years to restore. Wow. And uh, uh, that's couple of days of you know the weekends you know, my day off generally 
Yeah, so that's that's your passion. That's your yeah. you spend a lot of time loving those cars and getting them. To and uh, and when I didn't have a lot of time, uh, driving to work was uh, in the early days was the only chance I got to drive them. So I used to actually enjoy driving to work. And yeah. Back home again. That was uh, you know one of the highlights of the day. Well, lucky you didn't live too close to work. You would have had to yeah, just yeah. stand and look at your oh, car. Well, uh, <laughs> yeah. So you still got your guitars and your cars yeah. and your hairdressing and your pool. It seems like they've been like lifelong passions, all of them, really. Yeah. yeah. That's fantastic. And the people that that go with that, that they mm -hmm. they are part of your um uh, your world. You know, the people at the pool. Um, I see at the pool, and, yes. and we. Uh, and it's a really great atmosphere. Yeah. It's um, uh, communal, and it, and I know that uh, if anybody's missing from the pool, people uh, usually want to uh, find out what's happened. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so there's a, a lot of care factor there, mm. and uh, and it's the same with the car fraternity and the uh, music fraternity. Mm -hmm. Normally on my day off, I'm normally at the, the one of my friends' guitar shops in Port Melbourne. Okay. I used to call in every second week. Yeah. And we have a close uh, association yeah. and the people that you meet through that. Yeah, no, it's really good. So, I mean, I think being part of a community and being part of an external group, not just your work colleagues or your friends, yeah. just, I mean, not friends, a family, but having new interest in finding communities that you belong to it's really part of life isn't it to make, oh, make the most of everything it, it um because people are, are, are for people hairdressers are people people yes and so therefore people are a very integral part of their their lives and the salon is just like um going to a a, a social event <laughs> except that you know we have to run on time and there's the pressures of uh of, uh, you know, doing good work and all of that, but if you're a professional, that's all taken care of. I'm always in at work early, mm. uh, and I'm well prepared, mm. and um, no hangovers these days. No, no. <laughs> and uh, I didn't uh, actually. Uh, I, I seem to be able to function um, uh, uh, even when I'm sick, or whether it's self-inflicted or not. Um, <laughs> I can function because the the desire to um, do well overrides the the problems, mm -hmm. and so um, I I very rarely have a sick day. Mm. Um, if I'm away sick, it's usually something big that I'm away for for about three or four weeks or something. Right. Usually hospitalised, <laughs> <laughs> but apart from that, I'm at work. You know. Wow. So I I, I find that um, that that sometimes you've got to make the effort to know what you can do and I always say if you if, if I don't make it halfway through the day I can always go home but I'm always get to work and I'm ready to do the job and you turn up you try and work through it if you can yeah um, and uh, at the end of the day you often find out you're amazed that you did it <laughs> that's right but it, it's uh, it's part of the positive attitude of that's what the squad does every hundred meters you think you're not going to be able to do it yes and uh and because you've got somebody in front of you and somebody behind you you have to do it no that's great <laughs>
Well, Paul, it's been really interesting talking with you this morning about your life and swimming and everything that you have brought to the pool and what the pool's brought to you. So thanks very much for your oh, time. It's a pleasure, Jane. All right. And next time I hope I'm asking you the questions. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thanks, Paul. Bye. Thanks for listening. Don't forget, more background info and previous episodes are available on my website. Go to www.thedeependpodcast.com.au